Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in this space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of the CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and senior market analyst here at Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund-level intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Elturai, our U.S. Director of Research. Together, we'll share the latest news and trends in the U.S. commercial real estate market. Omar, it's great to be with you. Glad to be here. So we're recording uh, Monday, February 26th. This is our first macro update in a while. What have you been paying attention to? Yeah, so we've seen some pretty big shifts, even though we're still pretty early in 2024. But coming into the year and really up until about two weeks ago, the market was pricing in aggressive rate cuts from the Fed with the first expected to start really as early as March. However, over the last two weeks, the markets have really moderated that outlook, ultimately coming more in line with the Fed's prior guidance and what the Fed had been communicating coming into this year for rate cuts really starting further out in the year and at a much more modest pace. And as an example of this, at the end of January, the futures market was pricing in a near 47% probability of a 25 basis point cut at the Fed's March meeting. Now, this is per CME's FedWatch tool. However, that probability really dropped to 10% by mid-February after some data releases that we'll cover in a second and is now currently sitting at around 2.5%. This really suggests that the market no longer anticipates any sort of cuts starting uh, at the next meeting in March. So that, that really leaves us asking, like, what happened? In short, it's really that the market expectations might have been a little bit like overly optimistic or really the market expectations were not met. This is in terms of both the economic releases and we're also seeing market expectations not being met across earnings as well. On the economic data side is really an example of surprise to the downside, while the latter, so this is ex investor expectations in terms of companies and earnings announcements, are not being met with an upside surprise. So if we first look at the economic releases, which were the surprises to the downside, on February 13th, the CPI numbers for January really showed that consumer prices rose about 30 basis points over December. Now, this is up from a 20 basis point increase month on month in December. So that's December over November. Looking at the, the CPI release on a year-on-year -year basis, this really showed that inflation was moderated very slightly from its prior read to a, a pace of 3.1%, and the core rate remained steady at 3.9%. This was really read by the market as being quite concerning because it was showing that cooling inflation was slowing down. And this is something that had the market concerned because this really removes the Fed's urgency for really cutting anytime soon. And so if that was on February 13th, then just a few days later on February 16th, many of those markets' concerns of lingering inflation were seemingly confirmed by a larger than anticipated jump in the producer price index. So this is the, the PPI data, which again showed that inflation was not quite defeated. 
And adding to that rough week, just between those last two inflation reads was on the 15th, the retail sales data came out and really showed that the consumer appeared to be pulling back in January as retail sales dropped on a year-on-year basis by about 60 basis points or about by 80 basis points on a month-on-month basis. Now, I know this isn't inflation data. This runs contrary to the soft landing driven by a strong consumer narrative that we came in on the year with. Ultimately, I would say this was pretty upsetting. This is where you saw a lot of the repricing across futures markets, as well as just a lot of volatility on the day. And you started hearing a few more concerns about outlooks for the year. But the market right now is very much poised and paying attention to the February 29th release of the core PCE. This is really the Fed's favorite inflation indicator and will certainly be one that will likely move the markets. So if that was all on the topic of meeting or not meeting expectations on the economic data side, another point that has been moving the markets is really the performance of reality versus expectations on the company data side. So we're only two months into the year and the broad equity market, at least in the U.S., is up 7 to 8% year to date. And this has been driven by really just a handful of, of companies which have reported tremendous growth and really have, have, have continued to fuel this, this investor optimism around technology and AI. And while the, the fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings are wrapping up now, these tech companies earnings have have really boosted many indices that track the broad market and have really pulled markets into technical bull territory, which contributes to overall loose financial conditions across the market, which I would say are probably looser than what the Fed would like to see, especially while they're holding rates high. So I know I was talking a lot about economic releases as well as capital market broad movements, right? At least in the equity markets. So what does this mean for commercial real estate? First off, commercial real estate is an interest rate sensitive industry and asset class, meaning that as rates rise, values and generally transaction activity tends to fall. And while rates aren't rising now, that surprise econ data and the removal of the expectation of rate cuts is effectively the removal of a potential positive for the industry and push out, right, of when those rate cuts are supposed to start is keeping downward pressure on values and overall uh, CRE activity. Second, I would say the elevated rates really raise refinancing or recapitalization risk, specifically for commercial real estate. The banks remain under a bit of pressure, even though in in many ways that is easing, but also ultimately the commercial real estate asset class remains quite criticized. And as we're coming off of a year that was really a dearth of transaction activity, everybody was talking about this wide bid-ask spread and the lack of price discovery. That means that as a lot of the maturities of whether it was loans that were booked pre-pandemic or during the pandemic with shorter term are coming due, it really has higher level of refinance and recapitalization risk for those assets and for those borrowers. And so as long as rates stay elevated, so does that risk. And that's something that many are keeping an eye on. And I'd say it's a kind of a hot topic in the media right now. 
I know that was kind of a big, wide-ranging intro comment. I'm sure you regret asking what I was watching, but what have you been watching? Yeah, I'm happy to zoom us in a little bit here. Looking at some stuff that came out last week, you already mentioned a few of the indicators that I was looking at as well, but we haven't covered this one on the podcast before, but last week on the 22nd, February, we got the purchasing managers indexes for S&P Global. First time that I dug into these a decent amount, but these are effectively survey measures relating to asking purchasing managers whether or not they're going to have new orders for materials, they're going to hire more, what their anticipation is for future sales. And this is a basically a measure of 50 indicates a normal period relative to the last period. So a measure above 50 would be an expansion of business. A measure below 50 would be a contraction. So we actually saw for January, the flash indexes showed for manufacturing purchasing managers, 51.5. That was actually a 17 month high for services. That was a 51.3, which is actually a three month low. So the Federal Reserve continues to assess the timing and potential interest rate cuts, like you mentioned, and this is one indicator of the strength of the economy forward looking. But I also think that it indicates if you're asking purchasing managers what they're planning to do as far as ordering new inventory, hiring more. If you're not looking to grow your inventory, you're not looking to hire more, probably also not looking to grow your real estate footprint. I think it's similar to some of the indexes we've looked at, like the NFIB Small Business Optimism Index. Conditions are really waning for a lot of these larger companies. This surveys and captures larger companies, while the NFIB, I think, shows a, a smaller slice of small businesses. That services index I talked about has remained above 54, 13 consecutive periods but it really has lost momentum since early 2023. Manufacturers did increase production in February, uh, which is a sharp turnaround over later 2023. But um, I think all eyes uh, amongst uh, large businesses are on this February 28th release of GDP figures. I think that this is an early signal of what we might be seeing. The BEA may be able to confirm whether or not we actually had an expansion in the economy relative to what purchasing managers are seeing. So I, I think that'll be quite interesting and we'll certainly have to wait for the 28th uh, release of GDP. We also got a decent amount of data on homes in the last couple of weeks here. Wanted to call your attention to existing home sales. The National Association of Realtors did release their January data on February 22nd, showing a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 4 million home sales. This is actually up on the month, but on the month, these can be quite volatile. So on a yearly basis, it was actually down 1.7%. So sale of single family homes, townhomes, condos remains well below the historical average and significantly below the abnormal 2021 and 2022 period, which routinely actually saw adjusted annual volumes of more than 6 million sales. So quite a bit below currently. So these high mortgage rates continue to keep the existing home market frozen. And this is contributing to support for home values and rents in the multifamily and single family rental sector. Now, couple that data with new home sales, the other portion of the single family home market. And this comes from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. New single family home sales actually rose 1.5% on the year to a seasonally adjusted annual volume of 660,000. 
But this is actually below what economists were expecting. They were anticipating 680,000 and they assumed a sharp fall in mortgage rates toward the end of 2023 would prop up that number. But mortgage rates have continued to rise again. So the frozen existing home market has really been a boon to new homes, but things are generally slowing down even despite that. So new home sales have typically made up 10% of all sales, and now they're making up about 15, just more evidence of mortgage rates really wreaking havoc on a market that has traditionally been pretty well lubricated. We also get data that kind of predicts the, the housing market. We can take a look at building permits and new residential construction, so all the homes that come online. And we got that data on February 16th from the Census Bureau. So that showed 1.47 million permits for privately owned housing units in January. And that's, again, measured at a seasonally adjusted annual rate. That was actually up on the year 8.6%, but down on the quarter 1.5%. The release did show 1.67 million privately owned housing units under construction. That was down slightly on the quarter, but up 1.1% on the year. The real underlying story here is that the pace of new housing units authorized has actually been increasing since January 2023. I think that makes sense in the context of the existing home market and mortgage rates. But that was following steep declines from April 2021. So the number of housing units under construction has remained flattered down for about a year and a half after growing every month since 2020. And increasing construction and financing costs are really thinning this pipeline. I think that's what you got to take away here for multifamily in particular. The chronic housing shortage may still be a boon for investors in select markets, but I think this is really showing that the tide is shifting quite dramatically for that market away from what we saw in 2021 and 2022. So a lot of housing data, but I think a leading indicator of the economy we can see in retail sales and in consumer data. I wanted to put a little bit more color to what you were talking about earlier. So to, to repeat some of those stats, retail sales fell in January after actually rising 0.4% in December. And that was according to that February 15th release. But on the year, sales rose just 0.65%. And that was the smallest since May of 2020. So this has been a kind of a dramatic shift in we saw big expansions coming out of the pandemic and now we're seeing the consumer really pull back waning consumer demand shoppers are really feeling the pressure of higher credit costs and uh, all this actually contributed to the atlanta fed's gdp now estimate for the first quarter dropping from 3.4 to 2.9 percent we'll see what happens on thursday with those figures but retail sales certainly factored into the atlanta fed's estimate Lastly, I wanted to call attention to the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. So there were two consecutive double-digit increases prior to February, but in February, it was about even to January's 79 figure, and that's measured at an index of the year 1966 being 100. The sentiment among consumers is finally caught up to the environment. We saw the economic fundamentals be relatively divorced from what consumers were feeling. I suspect a lot of this is media-driven, but the fact that it was almost identical month-on-month month after two huge consecutive increases, I think it has really solidified the gains over those two prior months. 
and ended the divorce between economic sentiment and the fundamentals to an extent. I think some of this is media driven. That jump is pretty unusual, historically speaking. But I think now that inflation, even though it's higher than we've expected, is subsiding, that was a big driver of consumer sentiment. We're still lower than previous kind of stable period averages, but those two big jumps and the stable month-on-month index might signal a new normal for consumer sentiment. That was a lot to throw at you. I know you were taking a look at some earnings. It classified the last few weeks of our attention. If you don't mind giving us a full market recap of some of the stuff you've been looking at. Yeah, I I wouldn't be shocked if the overall broad equity market performance this year has also factored into some of the consumer sentiment because it's been pretty positive, right? And overall, I've seen some positive fourth quarter 2023 or fourth quarter and full year results from companies that are currently going through and reporting. As of recording on February 26th, nearly 95% of the S&P 500 has reported their Q4 earnings with mostly consumer discretionary, consumer staples and utilities being the, the sectors that are remaining or have the most companies remaining. High level takeaways for the broad market really include that fourth quarter earnings are generally up So this is EPS or earnings per share being up around 3 to 3.5% and sales growth being just above 4%. However, there are quite a few sector differences that are worth noting. Nearly 52% of those companies that have reported have beat on revenue and earnings per share with healthcare and information technology really leading the sectors with 71% and 63% beating on top line and bottom line results, respectively. Real estate, including many of the REITs and any sort of real estate operating company, are much closer to lagging in terms of results, beating expectations for the fourth quarter and the full year results, with only about a third of those reporting better than expected results, right? And the only other sectors which really have had as few beats have been consumer discretionary and utilities, which if you're paying attention, those are two of the three that still have the most companies that have yet to report. A few notable beats for commercial real estate were Camden Property Trust and Equity Residential, along with Marriott International, which all beat earnings estimates. So this is EPS estimates marking a positive surprise for investors in these companies, two of which are residential focused and one is a hotel operator. And in terms of notable revenue beats thus far for commercial real estate, you have Simon Property Group, which reported fourth quarter results that beat revenue expectations by more than 11%. And while There were a number of, uh, I would say, strong performers that we just touched on. There were also some notable misses, right, that we can call out now, which would be Data Center Digital Realty Trust and Essex Property Trust, which is a multifamily REIT, uh, reported results that really did not live up to analyst expectations. And it's also worth calling out that from an earnings takeaway or earnings season takeaway, If they have CRE credit, that generally is still popping up a lot in the Q&A portions, as a lot of the analysts are CRE risk-focused, right? And uh, I'm very conscious of that. Now, 
Turning quickly to pricing in the market and specifically pricing for the REITs, the vast majority of the REITs are currently trading at a, a discount to their net asset values, with the average discount across all the REITs in the U.S. really being right around 11%. However, this range, again, does vary widely by property type or REIT portfolio focus as data center REITs are trading at a premium to NAV at around 11%, while healthcare and mortgage REITs are, are priced and trading right in line with their NAVs. And then office, multifamily, and hotel or resort REITs are really trading at the, the steepest discounts to their NAVs of 20% or more. And a few other stats to, to call out in terms of the current pricing for REITs is that a fifth of all REITs are currently trading within 10% of their 52-week low. And while more than a quarter or 28% are trading within 10% of their 52-week highs, even though that's not maybe the best and it's a crude indication, the fact that more are trading closer to their highs, I actually think that is incrementally better, right? But there still is uh, nearly 20% are, are really trading near the, the, the low pricing that they've seen over the last year. And uh, looking across the different property types, we can see that nearly a third of the diversified REITs and uh, multifamily REITs are really trading within 10% of their 52-week lows. That's as a lot of the diversified REITs have uh, large office exposures and multifamily has become, you've seen more and more kind of critical and skeptical views coming out around that property type. And you've seen that really play out in the REIT share price. While uh, more than a third of retail, single family, industrial and hospitality REITs are trading within their 10% of their 52-week highs, right? So those are property types that you've seen a lot of, I would say, positive, not only do their fundamentals generally support better pricing, uh, but also their better buzz and and positive investor sentiment around that. And ultimately, I would say that looking at the REITs is helpful because it it does show how some participants in the market are really pricing certain elements and certain risk components. And I think one of the big themes for 2024, whether it's across public real estate, such as the REITs, or in private real estate, is really this big or growing divergence of outcome and growing divergence of performance. And we're certainly seeing that play out in the REIT space. But then, Cole, I know that you were paying attention to a number of earnings calls, particularly the retailers. What were you hearing there? Yeah, I think it's worth calling out that we try to do here on the podcast is connect the markets, the economy, and CRE. And one of the ways we can do that is looking at these retailers, because if they're not direct occupiers of real estate, they do give a good view of the economy in their outlooks. And I took a look at three that came. I'll remind folks that retailers tend to come in about a month after some other earnings calls because they include the holiday season in their fourth quarter. So that goes all the way up through February. Walmart, Home Depot, and Wayfair have all come in as of recording. And Walmart's a great one, one of the largest retailers in the country, a, a discount retailer at that. Ultimately, they beat analyst expectations for earnings per share. And they had a super strong quarter amidst slight general consumer pullback. But I'll note that they may have been the recipient of some of the pullback from your more expensive spending. You may have gone to a discount retailer. And I think Walmart was largely a beneficiary of some of that, quote, pullback. So they saw big foot traffic increases over the holidays, massive e-commerce sales growth. So 23% year-on-year -year growth. 
and they maintain double-digit growth in e-commerce sales for three consecutive quarters. So this isn't just limited to the holiday season. Their outlook for 2024 actually suggested that they will continue to see double-digit growth in their e-commerce business through 2024. Draw the direct parallel or, or the direct connection to what we talk about all the time. And I think that Walmart they might be looking to grow their industrial footprint if they're not going to hold this merchandise directly at the retail facilities. 10% growth on the year each quarter is an incredible prediction, especially considering this pullback. A really interesting nugget from their earnings call, though, they announced the purchase of TV maker Vizio. So this is a sign, I think, that they're looking to really leverage the advertising space. They're looking for direct spots in the home to perhaps leverage additional advertising space or to collect that viewership data to find new customers. So really interesting purchase there. I think it was a two, two and a half billion dollar deal, but quite unusual from Walmart. But I think it evidence that they're looking to expand into different markets, trying to find new customers. Home Depot was another interesting call here. They beat analyst expectations, even though sales actually fell. So they did better than analysts expected, even though sales declined on the year. They expect sales to rise only 1% in 2024 after falling 3% in 2023. So they are really still seeing contractions from that elevated pandemic era demand for home improvement projects or like large durable goods purchases. They have seen a huge drop off in sales on some of appliances. Their average transaction size per customer is dropping. Big ticket item sales are dropping as well. So they expect that sales will rise only slightly in 2024. I also took a look at Wayfair's earnings calls. So as direct to a consumer e-commerce retailer online, and Wayfair's executives have really been in major cost-cutting mode. They had a great year. They were profitable for the first time in 2020, and a lot since then has fallen apart for them. So they started the, the year with a huge layoff, about 10% of their workforce, after a similarly large layoff round in 2022. But interestingly, they beat analyst estimates for revenue after experiencing a narrower-than-anticipated loss. Their stock soared on that news because evidence that cost-cutting has been partially successful. I don't quite see it the way the market probably did. I think that what's happening with Wayfair is that their cost-cutting has offset the reduction in demand for durable goods that we've been seeing across the economy. I don't know how much longer that they can do this for. I also know that Wayfair has significant footprints across a lot of industrial facilities in really expensive markets. So when some of this comes due, their expenses might come up again if their space is up for renewal. But I predict that they may only temporarily offset a reduction in demand for durable goods like furniture. I certainly expect that we might be getting some interesting news from Wayfair in the coming quarters, but compare them to some of the other big e-commerce retailers. They sell a very slim type of good that is susceptible to big shifts in the economy. So definitely worth watching in the coming quarters. So Omar, I know we, we covered a lot today, but this is also going to be a big week upcoming for some data releases. What are you be taking a look at this week? Yeah. So in terms of macro economy on Tuesday, we have the durable goods orders data coming out. And then Wednesday, we have quarterly GDP as well as advanced goods, the trade balance data coming out. And then 
on Thursday, as I think we both noted, the core PC data is coming out. And so, and I know you're watching some housing data that's dropping this week. What should listeners pay attention to there? Yeah, to put some more color to some of the stats we gave up at the front of the podcast, I'll be covering some housing and, and consumer data. I'll be looking at that this week. We'll get the FHFA home price index and the Case-Shiller home price index Tuesday, in addition to pending home sales on Thursday. On the consumer front, we'll get the consumer confidence index on Tuesday and personal income and personal spending data on Thursday. There are also some big retailer earnings calls this week. So actually, you mentioned earlier in the call about Simon Property Group and some of the mall and retail REITs, one of their biggest occupiers of real estate is Macy's, who has an earnings call tomorrow. We've also got AutoZone and Lowe's. Lowe's has tracked very similar to Home Depot in the last couple of quarters, but I always like to take a look at AutoZone's earnings call as a reverse indicator of the economy, because if you're buying auto parts as opposed to a new car, presumably that's a, a leading indicator of kind of consumer spending. Also, we'll get Target and the TJX companies this week. I'll definitely be taking a look at both of those. And Best Buy will come on Thursdays to be determined whether or not the consumer electronics business has done quite as well as some of the other technology firms that we've been tracking over the last few months. And Omar, I know you have a quick announcement about our industry conditions and sentiment survey. Absolutely. Thank you all to those who participated and submitted a response in the survey. We'll be dropping the Q1 2024 CRE industry conditions and sentiment survey results in the coming weeks. So keep an eye out for this. It covers everything from what folks are saying in terms of financing to what they feel about hot or not property types, as well as what they're keeping an eye on in the coming months. And for those who participated in the survey, we'll be sending them the underlying data, but we'll also be touching on some of those key takeaways around what we're hearing from investors, lenders, and industry participants in both the U.S. and Canada on future podcasts. But keep an eye out for it, keep your ears open, and look forward to sharing those with you. Excellent. I, I know I gave folks a taste of some of the results. I've been parsing through those and sent a couple of charts out for the CRE This Week newsletter. There's quite a few big shifts that I think we'll be excited to share with folks. But Omar, I think that is all the time we got today. I look forward to speaking with you on another episode of CRE Exchange in a couple of weeks. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.